Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 27, verses 11 through 26. That is Matthew 27, 11 through 26. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me as we pray? Gracious God, we do not and cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it would nourish us today in ways of eternal life through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. Last week, uh, Pastor Eugene preached from Matthew 27, 1 through 10, by looking at Judas Iscariot, the way this infamous betrayer sin caught up with him and how he was filled with remorse and took his life instead of repenting and turning back to God. It's in contrast to previous chapter where Peter repeatedly denied knowing Jesus. When we look at Judas and his quest to live out his will instead of seeking God's will, we see that it leads to his destruction. And looking at Peter and to Judas's response, we see the deceitfulness of our hearts and consequences of sin. Last week, we were challenged to seek the will of God while submitting ours unto his. Instead of living in fear, live in faith in the one who has overcome sin and death, trusting in God and worshiping God the best we can in such a time as this. Chapter 27 began where we see religious leaders scheming and bringing this Jesus 
as a political revolutionary, and they call him, set him up as king of the Jews. They knew that Jewish doctrinal dispute over blasphemy wouldn't hold any weight before a Roman court. They knew that Pilate would want a political charge, um, a charge that Jesus would be some sort of an insurrectionist, a political revolutionary, because that's something worthy of questioning in a Roman court. So Pilate, finally having Jesus before him, asks if he is the king of the Jews. And Jesus responds to Pilate the same way he responds to Judas when he tells his disciples that someone was going to betray him in his midst. Judas asks Jesus, surely not I. And Jesus responded to him, you have said so. In the same way, responds to Pilate, you have said so. We see this calmness and this composure, this quietness of Jesus. You see, Pilate was used to people coming before his court and making excuses, begging for mercy, making a case, not probably like, always saying something. But here we have Jesus who's not responding. He's responding just the way that Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, was called to respond with silence. Now Jesus here is being accused of treason, a revolutionary um, in his attempt to overthrow Rome, which is a capital offense in Roman government. And that's the charge that was made by the religious leaders against Jesus. It was a political nature, and that's the only way they knew to kill Jesus. But we know that as we have read through and been going through the book of Matthew, some 20 plus chapters, every time Jesus' disciples misinterpret Jesus' claim to be the king, the Messiah, he corrects them again and again saying, no, that's not what I'm about. My kingdom is not of this world. So Jesus, in the way he's responding, and through the rest of this passage that we're going to look at, says that, and we're taught that Jesus is not guilty. He is innocent. That Jesus is this innocent, righteous man who is coming as a lamb of God. Now, Jesus responds with that phrase, you have said so. And it's kind of an indirect response. Now, if he said yes directly, then he would be responding, implying that he is seeking this earthly kingdom, which he's not. But if he answered no, it would deny the reality that he really is a king. So he answers the way he is. You have said so to show that he is the king of Israel, but not in the way that Pilate is envisioning king to be. Now, when we look at other gospels, especially uh, Gospel of John chapter 18, verses 33 through 37 shows us uh, a little bit more of what this discussion looked like. Let me read to us. It says, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would, be, would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? 
Jesus answered, You're saying that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus tells us that he is a king of the Jews, but not using the title in a political sense, not as a political revolutionary, not in an earthly sense, but in a spiritual sense. So the charge as a political revolutionary is moot because he's not a threat to the Roman Empire. He's innocent. Now, Pilate goes through the four stages of a proper Roman trial without any deviation, at least in the beginning. He goes through the charge, the first step, looking at the evidence, the second, and the defense, the third, and the fourth, the verdict. So Pilate heard the charge that Jesus is claiming to be the king of the um, to be king. He investigates evidence. And he comes to realize the real reason is out of the envy. We see this in Matthew 27, verse 18. And he spoke the verdict. Now, the verdict is actually given in John chapter 19. I find no guilt in him. And it repeats three times in the Gospel of John. And what he should have done was to release Jesus because there was no guilt um, in Jesus. Or at least place them under protective custody as Romans did to Paul when Paul was in danger. But instead, what does Pontius Pilate do? He kind of launches in this weird, irregular patterns of proceeding that ultimately leads to Jesus' execution. The irony in all this is, is, is the time of the Passover. And this Jewish, these Jewish leaders while they're scheming all this thing to kill Jesus in a violent way, they don't want to defile themselves. So they don't enter uh, Pontius Pilate's, this um, Gentile's dwelling, because that would make them unclean. And it's Pilate who comes out. So Jesus enters the space of um, Pontius Pilate, ceremony defiling himself, while the religious leaders stay away, and it's Pontius Pilate who comes out because he knows that they won't come in. And the irony of that, they, they pretend, they, they show this piety, but deep inside, their, their hearts are soiled in, in darkness. Now, we see Jesus' sentencing in verses 11, excuse me, 15 through 26, and again, we see the innocence of Jesus being reaffirmed Repeatedly. Now, Pilate knew, and he thought pretty clearly that Jesus was innocent. He had his own suspicions against these religious leaders. They had horrible relationships. He didn't trust them. They didn't trust him. And he had contempt against them. They had contempt against him. He knew that they had no reason to be helping him. If anything, if there truly was a uh, insurrectionist, you know, religious leaders would be supporting them, hiding them, not bringing them to him. They knew this was a farce. But in addition to Pontius Pilate knowing that Jesus' innocence, his wife has a dream and a messenger comes delivering that, you know, don't have anything to do with this man named Jesus because she also knew he was innocent. Pilate thinks Jesus is innocent. Pilate's wife thinks he's innocent. You see the pattern here? Matthew is telling us that Jesus is an innocent, spotless Lamb of God who is being experiencing this injustice. And only the spotless Lamb 
can die the death that he can die to take away the sin of mankind. Now, there's a governor's custom during this Passover festival time to free one prisoner. It is doubly symbolic because uh, Passover feast was a celebration of freedom. When the Israelites were under bondage, they were set free. And Roman leadership did this to kind of show this benevolent action to create and establish good relationship with the, the, um, the Jews because it was pretty tough to begin with. And, you know, Matthew adds that the prisoner could be whomever the crowd asked for. So Pilate is setting up. He knows that Jesus is innocent, so he wants to give an opportunity for Jesus to be released, thinking because the crowds, he's heard enough, crowds already think that, you know, Jesus is popular among them, so he thinks if he gives them the option, they'll choose Jesus. And he gives them a choice. Who do you want me to release, Barabbas or Jesus the Christ? The criminal or Jesus the Christ? The chief priests and the elders were stirring up, scheming the multitudes to make them choose Barabbas. Now, Barabbas wasn't just a common murderer. He was an insurrectionist, and he was a revolutionary, kind of like the one that goes against the Roman Empire, the one that you would crucify because he really was a threat, because he himself or he would want someone else to become a, a king, kind of going back to the Maccabean Revolt. Judas, excuse me, uh, Barabbas is the one who is probably being held for execution. And we see in John that he was also part of a rebellion in John 18. Now, every Jew knew about Barabbas. He was their infamous celebrity hero. It's what the people wanted. People wanted a king that they could understand. An earthly king that offered earthly advantages rather than king from heaven who offers truth, righteousness, and eternal salvation. question that I've been struggling with as I've been meditating in the passage is, as we continue to wait patiently the best we can through this COVID-19 epidemic, do we prefer a leader who can help us by offering practical earthly advantages? Or do we prefer and wait for the one who offers truth righteousness, and eternal life. I've been convicted, and I know that my heart needs sanctification today and tomorrow, and as we continue waiting. Bible tells us that sinners always prefer a manageable earthly ruler, although he could be self-serving, violent, or even evil over Christ. It's the unfortunate reality of our human condition. You see, Pilate had miscalculated. He thought he could set up Jesus to be released. Didn't anticipate all the scheming that the religious leaders would do. He asks, then what shall I do with this, with Jesus who is called Christ? They want him crucified. He asks, why? What evil has he done? He knew that he didn't merit any punishment, certainly not crucifixion. They had no response. They had no reason. But they just cried all the more louder again and again, let him be crucified. You see, Pilate was in a very difficult place. 
He did not manage well. He was not the wisest governor at this time um, during his leadership. And he actually was part of three riots that he caused among the Jews. And the last one was reported to Tiberius Caesar, and he's not in a good spot. His security is not there. Rome wanted peace, and if he had released Jesus, he knew another riot would start, as we see um, in verse 24 here. And if another riot starts, the word will get back to Caesar. He would probably lose his job and even his head. His um, political survival would not be possible with this. So the only option he feels he has to prevent this riot, this riot that the leaders were stirring up, um, was to just concede. It's really interesting because when you look at John chapter 19, verse 12, the religious leaders, you would never imagine them saying anything like this, but this is what they say, and it gives light to what's going on in their hearts and how much the religious leaders have compromised. They say, if you let this man go, referring to Jesus, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And later, on, later they, he, they say, we have no king but Caesar. What more can you ask of, of these religious leaders? Pilate is weakened because of the weaknesses and his wickedness. And he uh, washes his hands before the matter. Um, he brings for water, and he says, I am innocent from this man's blood. And he says, see to it yourself. The same language that you heard before, basically saying, it is your responsibility. <clears throat> you see, um, here, Pilate is telling the Jews, this is your responsibility now. And interestingly, when Judas brought back the money, do you remember? saying, I have sinned against this, you know, righteous man, Jesus, and through the money, it's like, that's your responsibility. Sit to yourself. Same words that the religious leaders say to Judas. Now, Pontius Pilate says to the people, but at the end, they're all guilty. They're all guilty. And the reality is, so are we. His accusers mockingly accept the responsibility, referring to the crowd, and say, his blood be upon us and our, upon our children. And then Pilate, conceding, has Jesus flogged and sent to wait for crucifixion. And here we have probably Jesus scourged violently. And many people, as they're scourged before crucifixion, die. The way they would beat criminals is different than the way Jews would beat criminals. Um, Torah and the Jewish values strongly condemn this sort of violence, yet this is what they're asking. The, the, the right legal way for such, such a thing as this would be actually stoning, not this kind of violent death. Now, Pilate, we know, is a man of influence and position. He had the power and the ability, and he should have, could have done something, but he acted pragmatically, he did not act on basis of principle. And again, Matthew shows us that we have an innocent Christ. 
Even Jesus' betrayer pronounces Jesus as innocent. And Jesus' judge, Pontius Pilate, pronounces him as innocent. Because why? Jesus is a righteous Lamb of God who's being led away to slaughter for sins that he had not committed. Jesus Christ is innocent. He's perfect. He's holy. He is a perfect Lamb of God, perfect sacrifice. This is the suffering servant that Isaiah speaks of who committed no crime, upheld the law in perfect obedience, who had done no violence, no deceit in his mouth. And these are the words that we also repeat over and over again in the creeds every week. You see, it's the servant's innocence that endows him the ability to um, cleanse us from our sin as a perfect spotless lamb. So all of this happenings, was it an accident? No. Was it out of control of God's plan? No, this, this is not out of control. Did, did Jesus do something wrong? Did he actually fall into this kind of situation? No, no, no. This was God's plan of salvation from the beginning. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's uh, interesting, the parallel the contrast between Judas and Peter and the parallel between Judas and Pilate. Judas recognized that he sinned by betraying innocent blood. And here Pilate spoke of being innocent of the blood of this man when he wasn't. He was guilty. Judas handed over Jesus to be tried and convicted. Pilate, same words, yielding to the pressure, hands Jesus over to be crucified. In both the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed, we alternate these creeds every month. We recite in our confessional creed that Jesus Christ, Son, his, uh, God's only Son, our Lord, who suffered under Pontius Pilate. We remember this again and again. There are only a few names that come up in the creeds. You know, Hitler will be remembered as the man who gassed the Jews. And Pontius Pilate goes out in history as the man who Kill Jesus. Pilate served a very unique function in the historical unfolding of what you would call covenantal redemption. He represents the legal authority of the Gentile world. And by doing so, you have Jesus who's tried and judged outside the camp. Outside the camp was a place of separation from the covenant for the people in the wilderness. You have things like bull, heifer, and goat sin offering that were burned outside of camp because they were considered unclean. Sin offerings were unclean. They were burned outside. You had criminals who were executed. Blasphemers were buried where? Outside. And guess what? The unclean lived on the outside through the time of their uncleanness until they're restored and they can come back into the community. All of us, during this COVID-19 epidemic, we get a glimpse of what this uncleanness looks like as we self-quarantine and we recognize we are unclean. And I'm reminded every day with all my kids and I'm sure all of you too, as you are self-quarantining the best you can, we are unclean. And we desperately need a savior to cleanse us 
not just heal us physically, but deep down, I believe we know that we are unclean and needing this cleansing that only God can give through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, outsiders remained there until they were accepted into the covenant community. You see, high priests carried the blood of the animal into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies, remember, they were burned outside a camp. And this is what's happening. Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, suffered outside the city gate to make his people holy through his blood. He had to die outside. He had to be desecrated this way because that was the only way. Pilate acts as an executor of the authority and the will of the imperial Rome. But even superseding all that is God's sovereignty. Within God's sovereignty, he's the executor of the redemptive plan of God. By confessing Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate in our creeds, we're proclaiming that what looks like to outside is just another case of Roman brutality is actually God restoring Israel's covenant and reconciling the nations back to himself. You see, Jesus was not crucified because he was at a wrong place called Jerusalem at a wrong time in this Passover time feast, at a wrong, doing this wrong thing, causing commotion or upsetting the wrong people, these high priests, um, during the watch of the wrong governor, Pontius Pilate. No, Jesus has always resolutely set out for Jerusalem for the salvation of his people from their sins. Pilate may have thought he was running the show, but it was God. It really isn't Jesus before Pilate. Jesus is not standing before Pilate as if he is under some sort of a threat. It's actually Pilate before Jesus because it's Jesus who gave authority that Pilate has. In fulfilling Fulfillment of scriptural promises. Jesus' death brought divine presence. Excuse me. In fulfillment of the scriptural promises, Jesus' death brought about the end of exile. Not only Israel's exile from divine presence, bring us back to the Father, ending the exile of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, back to our God. During this COVID-19, what will you do with Jesus, who is called Christ? You know, no one can be neutral concerning Jesus Christ. Pilate thought he could be neutral. He thought he could just wash his hands and be not responsible. But it's either you are for or you are against. Either you acknowledge Christ for who he is or you refuse to acknowledge him. So now we are before Jesus, just as Pilate was really before Jesus. And this Jesus is standing before you and me. And you ask, are you the king? And Jesus answers, yes. 
And if he is king, then we must acknowledge him and be, a, be subjected to him and worship him and live for him. But if we do not, the same fate that awaited, awaited Judas Iscariot, Pontius Pilate, awaits us at the judgment. Let us pray. Gracious God, in this scary season of uncertainty, we are reminded that we are in desperate need of you. And we are left with this question of what shall we do with Jesus who is called Christ? And we're humbled as we honestly reflect that we can't stay neutral. God, we confess that we prefer, like the crowd, someone like Barabbas who can help us in a practical way. But God, we know as we have found ourselves under self-quarantine, we need you who can truly restore us and redeem us, bring us back from that exile from the far land that is caused by our sin and sinfulness. God, help us to look to you and trust you during this season as we meditate and pray through Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Brothers and sisters, receive the Lord's benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.